Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. The Auto Wild Grill is the king of sophistication, bringing that steakhouse feel into the comfort of your own home. Portable, easy to assemble and clean, the Auto Wild Grill packs a big punch in your grilling game. With only three minutes of preheating needed to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit, you can expect moisture and flavor sealed within a gorgeous steakhouse crust in minutes. The secret is in the Auto Grill's radiant technology, which allows for higher searing temperatures, faster cooking, and juicy steaks. What are you waiting for? Save $300 off the purchase of your grill today. See the show notes for discount link and code. Vanessa Spina is a biomedical scientist and best-selling author of Keto Essentials. She is an international speaker on the science of keto and host of the Fast Keto podcast. Vanessa has a degree from the University of British Columbia and returned to school in 2018 to study biomedical science at the University of Toronto, which will conclude in early 2020. Vanessa founded KetogenicGirl.com in 2015, which has an online audience of over half a million people, and several thousand people have done her popular Ketogenic Girl Challenge program, which serves to optimize metabolic health with nutrient-dense real food nutrition. Vanessa Spina, welcome back to the program. How are you doing this morning? Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me again. I love getting to spend time with you guys, so it's always an honor. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy study schedule. We appreciate it. (laughs) It's a welcome break. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, you are so popular and we get so many messages and listener requests and questions that are asked and so we're excited to jump into some stuff today and hash some things out first out of the bat let's talk about macros fat to protein ratios and your thoughts on nose to tail what do you got for us today i think it's so funny that this is such a raging controversial debate when the bottom line really is we all have to find what works for ourselves. And yet it's super interesting to debate it because we're constantly trying different things and trying to understand how these macronutrients affect us and our bodies. And 
a lot of it involves experimentation, but I find the debate fascinating. Like I think a lot of people do in the carnivore space. I know you do Nevada too. And there's this back and forth between, you know, overeating protein, getting too little protein. To me, I really think it comes down to getting optimal protein for you personally as an individual. But I find the debate interesting because I do think that when the only thing you're eating is meat, you're going to naturally get really ketogenic ratios because a lot of meat comes with fat, right? So you have that fat that's built in to the protein already. But also the really interesting thing is that if you go too lean and I think you kind of start to change the meat like the meat naturally on its own will come with fat in it but then when you start to go to like getting meat that's lean and has had fat taken out of it and then you're not getting the proper satiety because you're eating super lean meats I think that that can maybe sometimes lead to an issue where people are just not feeling as satisfied and then they're over consuming protein and then you could see someone actually go really back into like a glycolytic state where they're burning glucose for fuel more and I think that that comes down to altering kind of the form of it as opposed to just keeping it you know it's the same with eggs like if you're eating whole eggs but then you start to just make egg white omelets, like you're altering its natural form. And then you might like over, over skew towards too much protein, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's a debate in the carnivore and keto communities. What are the proper ratios? And I think it really just comes down to what your goals are, whether it's weight loss or whether you have a serious chronic illness that you're treating. And the Paleo Medicina group has the PKD, the Paleolithic Ketogenic Diet Protocol. Uh, they have one protocol where they use for cancer, epilepsy, and then they have another protocol that's used simply just for weight loss, which I believe is a 70% um, animal uh, fat. And then you can add in some carbs and even honey, I believe, is what Dr. Clemens had spoke to. And I was just wondering if you can speak to that, the ketogenic diet for healing versus uh, weight loss. So there's a, a few things that I love about PKD, but you and I were chatting recently about how I was saying, like, I've looked at all the programs that I've made. There's one out of all of them that is the most successful, gets the best results, and it is very similar to the PKD setup. And it keeps protein at around 60 to 70 grams per day for the average person. And I think that one of the reasons it's successful is because when you're first going off SAD or standard American diet, you really make sure that you're getting a lot of satiety from having a lot of fat in there, healthy fats. But also I think a lot of people are under muscled like I was. And so if you're not working out and you have a really high body fat percentage and low lean mass, you don't have a lot of muscle tissue. If you're eating like 200 grams of protein per day or 150 or just high levels of protein, then you might not get results that you're looking for in terms of ketogenesis. You might not get, you know, fat loss. You might stay in that kind of sugar burning, glucose burning state. Whereas if you do get optimal protein, you moderate protein somewhat, but you're making sure you get enough. That's kind of why I designed the program the way that I did with 
it ranges between 60 to 80 grams per day, as you know, depending on the day. Um, and I know when you you started, you kind of would repeat a lot of the higher protein days. And I think people naturally also will like skew to that because they like to have, you know, the burger day with the six slices of bacon and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I naturally designed my program that way. My cookbook is based on those principles because it's all designed for beginners. And it's all designed for people who are going from that high ultra processed, standard American, high carb, really low protein, no fat diet to this ketogenic lifestyle where most people, even if they don't have really like tons of underlying health issues, they are looking to restore their body to homeostasis and have it function optimally. So that's why that I think is one of the big reasons why that program is the most successful out of all of them. And it, it does follow those ratios. And I do think that people can sometimes get into trouble if they're trying to lose weight and they're overdoing protein, which I think can happen if you're eating a lot of really, really lean protein. Um, so I, I think that's why it's interesting to debate it. You know, it's like, we're trying to figure it out, but that program is the most successful one that I have for fat loss and weight loss. Absolutely. And I can attest to that. I did Vanessa's <laughs> program for the first year of my recovery. It's an wonderful program, the 28 day ketogenic girl challenge, which comes with a coaching group. And Vanessa is very engaged and active, answering all your questions. Best program on the market. Highly recommended. And so I wanted to ask you, Vanessa, is there a point in the journey with weight loss and healing where the lever, as Maria Emmerich talks about, kind of flips where you do well with the higher fat and then as you lean out, does the lever flip where you're better off doing slightly higher protein to fat uh, when we start leveraging the oxidative priority, especially for people that go into plateaus? What are your thoughts on that? And one of the things that I love the most about Maria's model with oxidative priority is the fact that she talks about how ketones, exogenous ketones, alcohol are burnt off first. And that's why I have no alcohol on my program. And I've always really spoken out really actively about not taking exogenous ketones because they're marketed to people as they help you burn fat, but really ketones are small pieces of fat. So if you're trying to burn your own fat and you're drinking it at the same time, you know, whether or not it, you measure ketones or puts you in this ketogenic state, in my opinion, is not going to help you burn fat. And it really also emphasize, emphasizes how, you know, doing all these bulletproof coffees and things, if your goal, as you were saying, is fat loss is not helpful. So I love that model and how it reinforces that. I do think that fat loss is also, there's another component to it, which is really important. And I have always spoken about a lot is that it's very hormonally based. It's, it's hormonally signaled. And that's one of the things about keto that has been so beneficial for people is understanding that it's not this energy balance model. It's not just calories in, calories out. They have a role, they have a place, but it really is about hormonal signaling 
and correcting hormonal signaling so that the body is functioning really well. And our hormones are made out of protein and fat. So if we go to restricting all fat and not getting enough healthy fats, and I think that that can also be problematic, you really want to use it, like you said, as a lever for satiety. But, you know, eat it within the meats, cook with it. It's when it's being added uh, on top of satiety, on top of the fats that you may not necessarily need more of um, that that may block fat loss at some point. But I do think that at the beginning, especially when you're trying to go off sugar, you're trying to go off carbs, you need something to replace that energy source with, and that's healthy fats. And that's why um, I really emphasize it at the beginning. I think you're right. Over time, as people become more fat adapted and they're able to burn their own fat for fuel too, that they may need to add it less. Those lipases, those fat burning enzymes are being made really well by the body. Hormonal signaling has, you know, been reclaimed and restored a lot. And so, you know, they may not need to add as much fat. And that's where you can kind of play around with it and experiment for yourself, you know, say you hit a stall or a plateau and you can change things up and maybe lower the fats a little bit if your goal still is fat loss. If it's not fat loss, if it's maintenance or building muscle or, or muscle gain, actually having a lot of fat in the diet can be really helpful because it provides the precursor to the steroid molecules to make our steroid hormones that help us build muscle. So like you said at the beginning, it all comes down to your goals, but if it is fat loss predominantly and you are fat adapted, then I think over time, you know, play around with the macros and see if, if you do get better results from lowering the fat a bit. Yeah, I love that. Love that approach, Vanessa. And it is so funny, like you said, kind of the raging controversy in the carnivore community. And the truth is, is that they're all right. It, it depends. It depends upon the context of what's going on with the person. And like, like um, Nevada said, what stage of their journey are they in? And what, mm. what are their goals? Is it fat loss? Is it reversing their autoimmunity? You know, what, what exactly are they trying to do at that time? And it can change. It can change for the person. I think that the more metabolically damaged you are starting out, and like you said, when you haven't really upregulated all those necessary enzymes to really effectively burn fat, higher protein may keep spiking your insulin higher than you want it to be. And so with that higher fat approach, you're going to get much better results. As that changes, as you move into a different phase of your journey, then switching into a higher protein approach might, might work much better for you. So yeah, the answer is... It depends. And trying what works for you is really the key. So when it comes to fats, talk to us about healthy fats and the types of foods that people should be prioritizing and, and, and going after if they are looking for that higher fat approach. Okay, this is one of the reasons I love the whole paleomedicina doctrine protocol that we talked about a bit and nose to tail because I love talking about nose to tail and organ meats and getting different sources of healthy fats. So there's a lot of healthy fats that we don't look at that are so affordable to bring into our diet on a regular basis. So one of my favorite sources is canned wild sardines in water. 
They're absolutely delicious. If you're not super comfortable with them, you can start out doing like a tuna salad and flaking that into a bowl and then flaking wild sardines into that and either having it with some mustard or mayo and making like a tuna salad. It is so delicious and so economical to buy wild-caught sardines. Another one of my favorites is wild-caught cod liver. So a lot of people will supplement with cod liver oil, but you can get cod liver from a can and you can add that into a nice salad. Sometimes I'll do wild-caught canned salmon with cod liver or sardines. All of those fish have some of the best anti-inflammatory healthy fats for the body, those omega-3 fatty acids, but also some of the essential fatty acids that we have to get from external sources. Other whole organism sources are also nose to tail. So that's one of the reasons I brought up the nose to tail aspect is when you're getting a whole fish, you know, you're getting the complete nutrition, all the nutrients in that organism. And there's a lot of healthy fats that are in that. There's a lot of healthy fats too that are in organ meats. And that's one of the reasons that I love incorporating them. It adds a lot of variety into the diet when you're eating more meat-based and it adds like a lot of fun to it too because you can you can try out different things one of my favorite ways to get healthy fats is with pate we were talking about my bacon pate which I love to make and I literally was saying it sounds a bit egotistical but it is the best thing I've ever made in my kitchen like it tastes so good and I already loved pate my whole life But if you're someone who has not had a lot of pate, it's a great gateway pate to get you into the world of eating liver because, you know, eating raw liver or frozen liver is not for everyone. I mean, I love organ meats and that just just doesn't appeal to me. Uh, The best way I like to do it is to incorporate it into a pate. I like to fry chicken or turkey livers and in butter, in grass-fed butter or ghee and make a creamy pate out of that. And you can add in different fats that you prefer if it's like lard or suet or other fats. Um, You can also do pork liver pate and use pork fat or lard with it. But I like to make the chicken one. And I fry the chicken livers up in bacon fat with the bacon recipe and incorporate that. It adds such a great flavor to it. And uh, it's a great way of getting healthy fats and the nutrient density of organ meats in there too. Speaking of the nutrient density of organ meats, I I had a question. So let's say that you just can't do organ meats. You just don't like it. Uh, You've tried everything, uh, tried your recipe and just can't do it. Would seafood be a viable alternative such as mussels and oysters as far as the nutrient profile for organs? Would that be a great alternative for people to kind of incorporate the nose to tail approach minus the organ meat? Yeah, the reason I didn't bring that up is because I find that people seem to be averse to seafood. And I think that a lot of that, like a lot of times I'll post fish recipes and things and like, I emphasize getting the canned versions because you don't really have to worry about freshness because a lot of people will say, I don't like fish. And then when I ask them why, they're like, oh, I don't like that fishiness to it. And I'm like, that's because it's not fresh. So if you have any kind of animal meat that's not fresh, it's not going to smell good. But seafood 
is transported a lot of times far distances. And so people end up having a lot of bad experiences with seafood. But if you get it fresh, if you live near the ocean, as you probably know, it is fantastic. If you don't, then go for the canned versions of it. And you can even get canned oysters. Um, you can get, you know, canned uh, roe and salmon eggs like you were mentioning. And those versions will tend to always be like a pleasant experience because they don't go bad. There's a lot of sodium added to it. And, you know, they're really well preserved in, in the canned forms. Vanessa, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of supplementing with some of these uh, organ products like cod liver oil or the desiccated liver capsules, things like that? Yeah, so the the capsules I found interesting. I tried some myself when I first started and then I found that the amounts are so low. Like if you have like six capsules of uh, desiccated liver, it's only going to be about 3000 milligrams, I think. Um, so it's really, really low amounts. So, you know, if, if you're really averse to eating any of these kinds of foods, then you could try that and see how you feel. But I find it's worth making the effort to go out of your comfort zone culinarily because you feel so amazing when you get this nutrient density, when you eat these kinds of foods that you just want more and more of them. And it's, it's, I think it's really just like a mental threshold because, you know, when I'm walking through the grocery store here in Prague, you know, there's counters have all kinds of organ meats and it is just part of the culture. It's part of the food culture. And a lot of people notice that in South America and other parts of the world. Whereas when I'm in the U S the only place I find liver is in the dog food section, you know? I mean, you have to order it online. And I'm like, why are the dogs and cats getting all this amazing nutrition and we are not? Uh, and it's, I think it's just the, the food tradition of convenience and everything is in these pretty packages and we're not used to it. But I think it's so worth just pushing yourself a little bit to try these foods. And a lot of it too goes with going, the more you go off, ultra processed foods, the more you go off sugar and sweeteners, the better these foods taste you because they are real food. And then you notice how you feel and you just want to have more and more of it. Um, but it does maybe take a little bit of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to first get there. If it's something that just like doesn't appeal to you at all. Or like you said, you can start out with just maybe trying the liver capsules and maybe you notice a difference. So you're like, okay, now I want to have some pate. I'm going to get some store-bought pate. And then you're like, okay, I love this, but I want to make it myself. You know, so there's like, yeah, I think that's a great point. You can try different things to kind of inch your way there. Absolutely. And you're currently working on a bunch of recipes for the keto carnivore. Is that correct? Yeah, I get so many requests for carnivore for a carnivore version of my program. And I think it's because my program comes with the support and coaching. So I'm there to answer people's questions as they go along. But I also think that some people, carnivore should be really intuitive for most people. But I think that we are so disconnected from our instinctive and intuitive um, hunger signaling 
and appetite and it's it's all been so distorted that some people do carnivore and they don't succeed on it and I see it time and time again where I'll be in these Facebook groups and stuff and you see people will go in they'll try and they'll just be told by the group what to do you know eat as much meat as you can until you're absolutely stuffed and you can't eat anymore and you know that should work for you and people get discouraged and they're like, well, I gained 50 pounds. <laughs> I did what you told me to do. Um, I'm worse off than when I started and I'm out. And I don't want people to have that experience where they just toss it out because, you know, that doesn't work for everyone. And I do believe that if you are not a super active person, you're not working out, that you can eat too much protein and you can be in this glycolytic state that, yeah, maybe it's a bit better than being on standard American diet. But if you are, I don't believe in that whole, like eating too much protein stresses your kidneys and liver. Like I don't believe in that at all, especially after studying physiology. But I do think that you, your body can't store excess protein. And if you don't work out and you're more of a sedentary person and you're under muscled, eating four to five pounds of meat a day is not gonna result in fat loss and it's not gonna result in being in ketosis. And so I do think that some people need a hand and I can tell by the amount of messages I get from people who are like, I'm trying carnivore, it's not working. You know, can you make something? Um, so I've been trying to do that while I study and, you know, just to create a basic program so that people can see like what portion sizes maybe could look like and aren't necessarily just like this all-you-can-eat-meat diet, which doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, and I think, too, that one of the things that I see a lot is not so much uh, how much they're eating, but how often. Um, you know, mm. people still have this pre-program, especially here in America, three meals a day, plus they're eating some carnivore snacks, and they're, you know, spiking their insulin so many times throughout the day that it's just going to be really hard for the body to get into much fat burning. What are your thoughts around meal timing, intermittent fasting, or maybe an extended fast? Like, how does that work into your program? So I really like intermittent fasting. I always say it should come organically and not be something that you push. It should be that you have fed your body and nourished it so well at your mealtime that you're not preoccupied with food outside of mealtime. So your body's, it, it, sometimes it takes time. You know, it takes time sometimes to become fat adapted and to heal your body and really nourish it. If you're someone like me who was vegetarian for 17 years, you know, it took me a while to really reverse a lot of that pro insufficient protein I was getting, insufficient fat. Um, it takes time, but I really don't think it should ever be forced by people. I think that the simplest thing is creating a 16-8, for example, eating window, which really shouldn't be that difficult for most people to do. You're just pushing back your breakfast a little bit in the morning or, you know, you're closing that eating window after dinner. And that gives you so much time during the day that you're in the post-absorptive state. But between meals, if you're feeding your body really well, Thought, food should not be a thought. And if it is, then you're probably not really nourishing yourself well enough at mealtimes. Or there could be some kind of emotional 
tie there to food where it's not about hunger. It's because you have always used food to soothe yourself. I know I did it for years. And so you're, you're, there's some kind of uncomfortable feeling or emotion. And so you're wanting to eat because of that. And so to me, it should be this organic thing that just naturally occurs where you're like, wow, I'm so well fed. I could eat right now, but I, I'm, I'm just not actually physically hungry and I'm going to wait until I actually am. And that's just really like a natural organic thing as opposed to like forcing or pushing yourself, especially before you become fat adapted or if you're like new to this and you're trying to do everything that you see and hear other people talking about, like, don't do that. You're just going to set yourself up to fail. And I think that's a great segue to actually start talking a little bit about electrolytes and insulin resistance with sodium. And I know that you have some thoughts on that. And I was just wondering if you could speak to sodium and the role of sodium. Yeah, I've just um, been researching this for a while because I find there's a really interesting connection. I was studying the kidneys and the renal system and how, you know, sodium and calcium are either secreted or reabsorbed. And it's really interesting that there is this connection of, you know, why do we need so much sodium when people do low carbon keto? Like, okay, so when we lower insulin levels in the body because we're eating less carbs and less processed foods, then insulin levels tend to go down. And when insulin levels tend to lower, then the kidneys release sodium. I always thought that they were releasing it, but they're actually just not reabsorbing it as much in the distal tubule. So they're just not as much as being reabsorbed. And so those levels go down and that can make people feel tired because we need sodium and we need to maintain levels of sodium that are adequate in the body in order for all of our cellular function to take place and to maintain this sodium potassium balance in the body. But the other interesting aspect that I found, I was reading the salt fix by Dr. James, um, Nicola, I'm not, I'm going to butcher his name. Um, I don't know if you guys can say it. Dr. James, um, Nicolantino, Nicolantino. Okay. Um, and he kind of had a, a similar thought on it in part of the book where he was saying that the kidneys are actually desperately trying to, he didn't say it in these exact words, but the, the concept is that the kidneys are trying to retain sodium. And because of that, they're actually keeping insulin levels higher in order to be able to reabsorb that sodium. So if you're not getting enough sodium in your diet, it's going to force the body then to have these higher insulin levels. So there's that side of it too. And it just both, both sides go back to the importance of getting adequate sodium levels. And the government recommended uh, intake of sodium is about two, two grams per day, I believe, of sodium. And Finney and Volick have some really great charts I've posted a couple times um, on Instagram and Twitter showing that actually the levels that are have the lowest associated mortality are more than double that. And that if you go above that, if you double even that level, you have still lower mortality levels than if you don't get enough. And so there's a lot of connections to sodium and it just reinforces the importance of if you are on low carb, and you're not getting all this sodium from processed foods anymore that 
and you're just feeling tired or you're not feeling great energetically that, you know, sodium uh, supplementing is probably the most important thing you can do if you are doing any kind of low carb approach. And, you know, of course, discussing it with your physician, depending on if you're on medications or things or you have impaired, you know, liver or kidney function is really important. And also because of the connection of blood pressure and blood pressure medications with so many people find that they lower, reduce those, you know, medications when they go on keto and low carbon. So there's, there's really like a really interesting connection, I think, to sodium and insulin levels in the body. Yeah, that is really interesting. And, you know, one of the other things that factor in is the, the trace minerals, some of the other types of salts, uh, you know, obviously potassium, magnesium, uh, Nirvana and I talked the other day about the mineral lithium and how it is deficient in so many people. And I think people, especially in the carnivore community, and rightly so in many ways, were very suspicious of a lot of supplementation. And we think, wow, we should get all of this from our diet. And, you know, in an ideal world, if the earth's crust and was not depleted because of our uh, poor agricultural processes, if we were still drinking natural spring waters, which is very high in all of these trace minerals, then that would be the case. That's not what we're experiencing today. And so I think it makes sense getting sources of these trace minerals. I know many of us, myself included, are fans of Redmond sea salt and uh, other types of salts that have a lot of trace minerals. What uh, what are your thoughts on on some of that and supplementing some of these minerals or uh, trace things that we're just not getting? Yeah, I think magnesium is is probably the second most important one. I when I was studying physiology and, and our DNA, especially I saw how vital magnesium actually is to DNA transcription. And we need these ions for so many different things in the body. Calcium, we need for our muscles to do virtually anything. And I always thought, you know, oh, well, we need calcium for our bones. Like, no, actually, our bodies store all these minerals in our bones because our bones are mineralized protein. And if we don't get them enough from our diet, then it leaches them from our bones. So that's why there's this, you know, connection. We're always being told, like, you need to eat calcium in your diet. And 1,000 milligrams a day is really important for people to be getting adequate calcium in the diet. And it's really for our muscles to be able to perform and function really well. And these ions are so vital and critical for so many different, you know, just basic functions in the body for them, you know, and, and we're talking about optimal living, living optimally, function optimally. And, you know, these electrolytes are such an underrated thing. And I just like to talk about it because when I first started keto, I heard about it all the time. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know electrolytes, but no, like you really, really need to supplement with them. And you'll notice such a huge difference, especially when you're first adapting and people go through keto flu and they feel fatigued and that kind of thing. Like adding a teaspoon of sodium to some water can make all the difference and I love that you brought up getting all those other minerals as well because, you know, getting a whole complete salt that's not just like some commercially produced bleach salt is, is really important. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've actually been enjoying uh, spring water uh, from different natural sources. Uh, just incredible the, the spectrum of trace minerals that are available in there. And this is this is what, you know, we used to drink. This is what uh, what mankind really enjoyed uh, for a very, very long time. And so that's been that's been really interesting to me. And um, but yeah, I you make such a great point of, about salt. And I remember first starting out, I would get incredible dry mouth. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and my tongue was stuck to the roof of my mouth. I was like, what, what is happening? And uh, that's, you know, I hadn't heard yet about salt and the importance of it. And like you said, just adding in a little bit of, of uh, good quality salt into some water just changed it dramatically. And even with cravings, I noticed that, uh, when I got more salt, it really, it really took care of that. And so now I know with some of my clients, it's like sometimes these hunger uh, pangs that they might have or these cravings, it's like, yeah, your body's probably wanting some water, some salt, or maybe, maybe some fat and trying that first, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, the quote unquote hunger goes away. So that is really, really interesting. Um, what else, what else are you excited about these days? Anything else that you're, uh, looking into researching, doing any deep dives on? Yeah, I think, um, one of the things that's been really interesting and Nevada and I were chatting about this a little bit, uh, before the call is just studying pharmacokinetics right now and biochemistry. What I would love is if we could create some kind of chart of the bioavailability of the micronutrients that are in animal foods versus plant foods. And, you know, it's not to put down plant foods. It's just that, you know, I try to post charts showing the micronutrient content that is in me and, and in animal foods. And yet we don't have any information on the bioavailability of it. And right now in my courses, I'm studying how do we measure the bioavailability quotient of different drugs in the body and how the liver metabolizes these different drugs? And I think it would be so fascinating if we could somehow create something like that for the micronutrients that are in animal foods so that we could show, you know, I think this is one of the huge reasons why people feel so amazing when they eat again organ meats. Uh, because the micronutrients are so high in them, but also the bioavailability is so high as opposed to focusing on getting those micronutrients from plant foods that have this diminished bioavailability. And I think that's something that um, I've just been thinking about, like, how could we create something like that to just showcase that bioavailability. Like we assume that it's much higher and we know it is higher, but to actually be able to, you know, list it out, I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be absolutely incredible. And it totally makes sense because sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, they're so important for all of the membrane channels in our cells, for all the communication that's going on, for energy metabolism, for neuronal transmission and sensory and motor. So if you're deficient in those, of course, you're, you're not going to feel your best because the body doesn't have the raw materials to do what it needs to, to create that homeostatic uh, balance. So that's, that's why I grabbed this. Fun. 
I had to show you guys this. It, this is, uh, you can't see if, you know, you're listening to the podcast, but this is a mineral water that's sold here in Czech. And it's, it's from these spa towns. So in Czech, there's this, these spa towns where people go when they're sick and they drink from these fountains. And then you get this like little mug this special mug and you go around to these water fountains and every single one has different degrees of mineralization and it's all the minerals, all the electrolytes that are depleted from our water. And they sell this as a therapeutic, like a medicinal water. And it even says like, you know, don't have more than like 300 milliliters a day and you know take 300 milliliters a day for 21 days and you'll have this huge like impact on your health and really it's just because it contains all those minerals like you were saying it has lithium in here and you know potassium sodium calcium manganese phosphorus all these things that have been depleted from water and people are going from all over the world to these spa towns to drink this mineral water and you know here in like the keto low carb space it's kind of interesting that we've you know like stumbled upon this in a way the importance of these these minerals and noticing the difference of how it makes you feel yeah i it is uh it's just a testament to returning to nature and and the power that it has uh we we live in such a uh synthetic world now we have artificial food artificial light artificial water uh, we avoid the sun, we avoid the cold <laughs> and heat, the very things that help to strengthen us and, and, and make us who we are. So returning to that is, is huge. And, you know, the same with our diet, eating in an ancestral diet, something that just epigenetically makes sense for our body is, uh, is, is the start of health. And uh, I, I love that it's, it's free and that it's, like you said, very customizable to the person. You know, you can find exactly what works for you. And so that that is huge. Well, this has been fantastic. We, we love having you on the show. I think that this was a very meaty episode and is going to help people very practically because these are these are real questions. And I just love the the balance that you bring to it, the thoughtful approach. Um, you know, it's not the uh, arguing on both sides about my way is the only way. It's finding the way that works for you, for the person, for for your clients. So speaking of that, how can these guys find you if they're interested in your program or want to learn more about your, your approach? Thank you so much for the kind words, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I love to be on your show whenever I get the chance. So thank you for inviting me to be back. Uh, If anyone is interested in more from me, they can go to ketogenicgirl.com. I have the 20-day challenge program there. I have Ketogenic Girl on Instagram. My cookbook is called Keto Essentials on Amazon. And the podcast I do weekly is Fast Keto. Yes. And I want to ask the question that everybody's wondering – when will your carnivore program launch? Well, hopefully by Christmas time, I'm hoping, but it just depends on how quickly I can get the photography done for it. Um, but yeah, I'll keep you guys posted. Thank, thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. 
Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will talk to you again here real soon. Thank Take you care. so much, guys. Prove It makes exogenous ketone products a perfect accompaniment to your ketogenic lifestyle to help you to optimize energy levels, sports performance, cognitive function, and more. See the show notes to try some today. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.